Hi everybody, this is Robert Steinman, host of Random Encounter, the RPG fan podcast. I'm here today with Brian Hines, the game director for Tyranny, the upcoming game from Obsidian, and kind of uh, another spiritual successor to uh, the Baldur's Gate games and uh, their previous title, Pillars of Eternity. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a great opportunity to talk to the fans of the game. Excellent, excellent. So I just want to hop right in uh, with a question about... I think we were all kind of expecting Pillars of Eternity 2. Like, that was the thing everybody was expecting. And then, you know, out of left field, you bring us Tyranny. And, I, you know, I'm really excited to play the game. But I kind of want to ask, first off, like, why did we go with Tyranny versus uh, Pillars of Eternity 2? I know in a couple other a couple other interviews, there was kind of intimated that that's coming maybe at one point. But what made you guys kind of focus on a whole new world uh, rather than the world of Pillars? Uh, well, first of all, you're saying a whole new world now has the Aladdin song in my head. So thank I, you I for apologize. That. I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, so basically when we were looking at, uh, when Pillars was still in development, the, the South Park Stick of Truth game was wrapping up and we were looking at what we could work on with some of the team members. Some of them went to work on, on Pillars to help finish that game out. Some were working on our, uh, Armored Warfare title, but there were some other people who were like, you know, we can have the, the bandwidth to work on yet another game. And it's as an independent studio, it's always good to have more irons in the fire so we're not uh, dependent on too many things. And we, since we had started working with Paradox as a distributor for, for Pillars of Eternity, um, they had been interested in working on a, an RPG with us, and we had a few ideas kicking around the studio. One of them was what eventually became Tyranny, which was this core idea about a game where evil has won. So... We were talking with, with Paradox more about that, and they got really excited about the game, and we were obviously really excited to work on it because it's it's an idea that we, we were excited about. We has survived for many years at, at Obsidian. So after uh, talking with them more, it made a lot of sense to work with them directly as a, as a publisher on Tyranny and develop this RPG um, working with them. And now, because uh, we started probably about a year before Pillars was actually released, we were in development with like a fairly small team that once Pillars released, we uh, absorbed some of the team members from that project and helped uh, ramp up uh, Tyranny and finish it out. And um, now that we're getting much closer to release, some of them will begin working on, on other projects, which uh, includes a, a second Pillars game. Awesome. Awesome. Fantastic. Now, uh, I think tyranny really appeals to me and our listeners probably know from the podcast that I, I am an evil person at heart. So, <laughs> so this idea of playing a game as a villain uh, that immediately like piqued my interest. Like, this is so cool. Now in the world of tyranny, are you guys like just go leaning into the whole, you're being a villain, you're playing lawful evil, chaotic evil, neutral evil, or is there kind of what we see in a lot of other games where you could go what is considered like the good route? I'm, I'm having flashbacks to infamous and you either have evil Cole who like murders school children or like good <laughs> Cole who every blood drive he goes and he donates, you know, double red cells. How are you guys kind of handling that dynamic in tyranny? So I mean, we we deliberately tried to not make that that dichotomy of having the the pure good choice or the pure evil choice. Where in so many games, the the pure evil choice is just oh, just kill everyone. That's that's your only option is to play a murderous psychopath. Which I mean, it can be a lot of fun, but kind of is a little bit lacking um, for nuance. So what we try to do for tyranny is create a much more like shades of dark gray for what you can be in the game. Um, so it's definitely much easier to play an evil character in Tyranny. There's 
a lot of choices you can make that may on the surface seem like, oh, this is this is this might be a good choice for me to make. And then the results, because of the people you're dealing with aren't the best people in the world, turns out to be maybe something quite horrific and not what you intended. Um, so playing a I wouldn't say a good character, but a better character often means you have to stand against your allies and tell them that what they want to do is absolutely wrong and they're going to do it your way and accept the fact that it makes them unhappy um, by choosing to, to take this stand that is not what they necessarily want you to do. So it's playing the good path does not make you many friends in the course of the game, but it can definitely be an overall rewarding and uh, successful experience by the end of the game. Mm-hmm. And to get to that point in some of the demos that we've seen online, you're not making the choice about like pushing grandma down the stairs. You're kind of disto- you're kind of des- uh, deciding whether or not to like subjugate this certain group of people or when to swoop in and try to take like something for yourself. And I, I think that kind of plays into being uh, more of like a lawful evil character or, you're, you know, you're not playing an out and out psychopath, like you said, right. with, with the writing around that, like. How do you write those kind of scenarios that entice the player to want to go down those different routes? Like, how do you really, you know, entice them to want to go down these different routes of evil? Well, generally what we try to do is, like, I mean, this is true for most of our games, and it's only, like, slightly different for Tyranny, is that when we're looking at what choices we give the player, we try to make them, like, little bits, little teasers of interesting things they might be able to do and, and hints of different possibilities they could potentially take or just some random uh, dialogue options that just feel cool or powerful or interesting for a different character. So usually we try to use those and the situations we're in to really make the player like think about what they're doing and how it's going to pan out. And then if they're paying attention to the characters or the NPCs they're interacting with and their companions, it's all going to make sense like what the ultimate resolution is. So when we were looking at writing for Tyranny, it was really just like, okay, if we're, if we're in the mindset of being part of this evil empire and it's not like murderous psychopaths for the sake of being stereotypical evil, like what are their motivations? Like what do they want to get out of this? And how can we use that to create interesting choices for the player to make? Because ultimately you start the game with a position of authority and respect in the overlord's empire. So even though you're coming in this evil situation, like it's not like people are just attacking you randomly. They all have to, at least on the surface, treat you with respect and give you options. So um, that allows for some flexibility on the player's part about what choices they're going to make and how that can drive the story forward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to me about some of the engine changes uh, with this engine being very similar to Pillars. Uh, you know, Pillars is a very good-looking game, but I think you know immediately there's something a little bit uh, striking about Tyranny coming from its art design. Uh, combined mm-hmm. with with the different changes that you made to the engines, like what what new things do players have in store from that perspective? I mean, so fundamentally, we're using the the same engine that we created for Pillars of Eternity. The um, some of the major differences are that we've upgraded. Like Pillars is based on uh, on Unity four. Um, we upgraded to Unity five, uh, which has some better uh, memory management options for us. So that's been great for performance and uh, stability of the game. Um, but the the major difference in the look and feel is just in how our art director and our artists have actually styled the game. Just trying to go for environments that are, um, we, we weren't afraid of stylization. We wanted to make our, our characters and our environments having, not going for quite the same realistic look that Pillars was trying to achieve, 
and just trying to have our, our characters stand out in both the proportion and the design of their look, and then just trying to have the backgrounds be uh, have more of a slightly painterly style to them so that there's not necessarily as much uh, detail in the textures as you would see in pillars, and just something that try and like evokes a strong emotion when you're looking at our scenes. And I think it's it's come together very nicely, and we have some very beautiful uh, areas in the game. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the art design it was striking from the first video reveal for that game. You know, I, I've played a little bit of pil- Pillars. I'm a few hours into it, and I know our listeners mm-hmm. are going to yell at me for that. But um, <laughs> I, I, I liked the fantasy setting, but it didn't strike me kind of as hard as Tyranny did. Like, Tyranny immediately grabbed my attention, and so I, I feel like I'm going to gravitate, not just because of the, the evil lurking inside my heart, but also the fact that it <laughs> it's just so stylized. Like, it's a very striking-looking game, and I think that painterly look that you described is is really special. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think our, our art team did a fantastic job with really bringing the game together and giving it its own, like, life and feel to it That's like makes it even though they're similar games from like the perspective and controls and the general concept of how the game plays, you can look at a screenshot of Tyranny and a screenshot of Pillars, and there's a very striking difference between the two of them, and they feel like their own distinct games, which was our goal from the beginning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, when Pillars came out, there was that huge compendium book to kind of like go into the world of Pillars of Eternity. We saw similar things with, uh, with Dragon Age to kind of create this world that isn't just a game taking place in this world. It is a world that you guys have already created. Have you guys taken just as much care with the world of tyranny? Do you guys have like this elaborate history and all of this, this kind of um, bigger picture look to this world? I mean, so definitely when we were first starting to work on uh, very early pre-production on tyranny, there was a lot of discussion about what this world was, what this, uh, what, what this game would be. And initially, like uh, Chris Avalon, when he was uh, part of the project, wrote like uh, about a hundred pages of like background, foundational world lore for the uh, for the game that we've used as like as inspiration and to drive forward with as we've been developing the game. So there's a lot of a lot of ideas, like way more than we could actually fit into any one game. Like I think there's the the idea that like when you're working on something, you always want to develop more than you can actually show, just so that there is is room to expand as you're working on it. If if you need to explain what a certain faction is, there's always, you want to have like 10 or 15% more information than you ever really want to like put into the game. That way there's always this hint that there's a bit more lurking on the sidelines for people to discover and help drive them through the game. And I think we've, we definitely did that in early pre-production and probably even more than that as far as creating the, the extents of the world. And I think as we've been, developing the game uh with discussions between the 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 narrative team and the designers and artists we've definitely flushed out the world a lot more and i think if uh if tyranny is successful and we're able to to do more there's there's definitely enough material for for multiple sequels in this world Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh so now i want to talk about something a a little controversial uh something that made me a little nervous uh so pillars has you know distinct character classes and yes. and that for somebody who is um I, I have irrational fears and one of them is breaking my characters like just yeah. snap mm-hmm. snapping them in two and getting you know 10 hours into a game and going well f I, i'm screwed there there's nothing i can do and i have made broken characters and i i freely admit i am one of those guys that always manages to break their first party and with uh tyranny you guys are going for uh, a skill system that isn't class-based 
And mm-hmm. I remember you told me that at E3 and I, I started hyperventilating and I fell on the floor because I'm, <laughs> I so want to play this game, but there's that, that deep rooted fear of, you know, I'm going to put all of my stats one way and you guys would just look at my character and go, man, you're an idiot. Like, how do you guys balance that? And, and what's going to be there in place for uh, special snowflakes like myself that really struggle with a classless system? So I think, I mean, one of the, the goals we had with, uh, going with this skill-based approach is to really allow players to create, like if you have a concept for the type of character you want to make, that using the skill system, you can actually make that character specifically. Um, often I find when I'm playing a class-based game, like the characters I want to play are the the hybrid characters, the ones that kind of fit in the cracks between different classes, something that's a little bit fighter, a little bit wizard, a little bit druid maybe, just to kind of have something that's a very different experience. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I love skill-based systems is that I can, by picking the right skills and spells and uh, equipment, I can really make the character that I'm trying to play in my head. And that's one of the reasons why I, I chose to make a Tyranny A skill-based game is so that uh, people would have that same freedom. And I think our, our challenge was the one you pointed out, of making a system where people couldn't end up screwing themselves. And some of the ways we tried to do that is um, we're falling very much in line with how pillars design their attribute systems, where there are no stats that are not useful for a character build. So even if uh, you are a want to be a, a tank fighter and you want to focus primarily on uh, like quickness, which reduces your cooldowns and recovery on abilities, if you focus entirely on that, that can still be a very fun and viable viable build giving you more access to like taunt abilities and heals and things like that to keep your uh, your character alive while they're tanking against a group of enemies. Or if you want to be the uh, uh, a spellcaster, but you don't really want to focus on wits, which increases like your spellcasting power, if you focus on might instead, well, using magic staves uh, uses might for damage. So you can actually be a very powerful spellcasting character using your magic staff weapon attacks against enemies without having to necessarily focus exclusively on spellcasting attributes. So the the goal we've been trying to achieve and what our QA has been testing and uh, finding edge cases and, and breaking so we can fix is making sure that the different attributes work for different character concepts. And even if you don't put all your, your attributes into a stat that maybe isn't the one we necessarily recommend for a certain play style, it can still lead to a very fun and engaging experience. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, are you going to allow me to maybe turn the difficulty down at any point if I start getting my ass kicked, or is there maybe going to be a respec option? Can you speak to that at all? Uh, so we have uh, four different difficulty settings for the game, oh, thank you. Um, which you can change at any <laughs> point uh, <laughs> while you're playing. Well, like I said, you can uh, go down at any point. Uh, in general, you can go up as well, although our uh, some of our difficulty options can only be set when you're first creating a brand new character. Mm-hmm. And those are ones that are the, the most uh, most difficult play styles you would need to choose at character creation in order to uh, to be able to play on those those difficulty settings. Okay. But uh, the our, our, our easiest difficulty mode, which is what we call our story mode, is for players who maybe aren't that interested in the, uh, the combat or mechanics of the game and really just want to experience the, the story and the dialogue and the narrative. And so that difficulty setting makes it much easier for you to play through the game using basic attacks and letting the party AI manage 
what your companions will do and still make it through uh, the majority of combats in the game without having to necessarily engage and try and pause and control specific actions for every party member. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I don't know where I read it. It might've been on a message board forum when I was uh, digging a little bit into the game, but at some point people started to get the impression that tyranny wasn't going to be as long as pillars of eternity, but it was going to be much more replayable. Uh, were people just, you know, guessing at that sort of thing? Can you speak to that in terms of the length to, to pillars of eternity? So, I mean, definitely we, we wanted to make Tyranny a, a shorter game. Like, one of the things that, uh, as now that I've, I've gotten older, I don't really have hundreds of hours to put into an RPG yep. very often anymore. Yep. I try to explain like, that to our listeners, and they don't understand. I'm like, just wait until you're <laughs> married. Just just wait. It's coming. Yeah, pretty much Christmas break is when I can play <laughs> a 100-hour RPG and get through it all. Other yep. than that, really, no, doesn't, uh, doesn't happen. So... Um, I really wanted Tyranny to be a, a shorter game, something that you could sit down and over a couple of weekends finish and have a great experience with. So our our crit path playthrough time is around 20 to 25 hours. Oh, wow. But okay. we've had people who, uh, people who I try to do all the side quests who are very completionist and want to experience everything in the game. Um, we've had people get close to 40 hours of gameplay um, before they actually reach the end of the game. So definitely there's a lot of content there if you want to explore it all. But still, it's it's the game is not as long as Pillars, and we that was not one of our goals. We actually wanted to make a game that was shorter. Mm-hmm. Now, the contrast with that is uh, Tyranny has actually four very different quest lines that take you through the game. Oh, cool. So based on the choices you can make both during character creation and while playing the game, you can get on to make different alliances with different factions that give you very different quests as you're playing through the entirety of the game. So... One playthrough of Tyranny, um, you may ally with the the Scarlet Chorus faction, which will have its own point of view on events, its own goals and narrative driving you through the game. But then if you come back and ally with the Disfavored, you'll get a very different experience, a very different set of goals and things that are driving you through the rest of the rest of the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I tried to remind people that, uh, you know, a, a game that I, I think our generation kind of holds in high regard, a game like Chrono Trigger people try to remember that game as a 40-hour RPG, and it's like, no, that was a 15-hour RPG. And I think that's one of the reasons why it stands out so much in our mind. You mm-hmm. know, there, there's a place for those big 100-hour RPGs. I'm playing Dragon Quest Seven on my 3DS right now, and I'm having a ball mm-hmm. with it. But, you know, that's a game that I'm going to play over a couple of months, and it's not nearly as... I'm not making huge, world-changing decisions in this game. I'm kind of just being led along a narrative, kind of fable-esque uh, path. But I think there's something really appealing for getting to make big, impactful decisions and seeing them play out in a timely manner. It's not, oh, I'm making this decision at the beginning of a 100-hour RPG, and at hour 80, that's going to come up again. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, um, if you could speak a little bit to kind of the, the return of these classic uh, computer role-playing games, these CRPGs. We have uh, Pillars of Eternity, we had Wasteland 2, uh, Divinity, and now uh, Divinity Original Sin 2. It, it, it's kind of like a renaissance right now of these titles. Like, why do you think this happened all of a sudden? Do you think that there was, like, this thirst for these games and then it, and then no companies were willing to make them? Can, can you speak a little bit to that? Well, I know that um, th- there's definitely been obviously a demand for these type of games. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been as successful as they have been over the past couple of years. I think the the real thing that made these games possible is like the rise of 
of crowdfunding as a model for funding games. Because typically when working with, with publishers, there's like the low budget mobile mobile game or the uh, 20, 30, $40 million budget AAA RPG. And that there's a, a huge gap in between that where games can be made, but most publishers don't think that the uh, return on investment is good enough to actually be willing to invest the the manpower and the, the marketing and the distribution budgets to to make that type of game. So, and a lot of these games fall into that gap in between those those two extremes. So, I think for a long time it just wasn't feasible to get this type of game made because it wasn't wasn't big enough to draw. It wasn't big enough or small enough to achieve publisher interest. So, and most people. Most independent studios, especially, didn't have the cash on hand to make this type of game. So, the fact that crowdfunding has come along and become something that people can actually look at has allowed uh, games like Wasteland 2, Pillars of Eternity, uh, and, and Divinity to really <coughs> just have, find an audience and prove that hey, there's not only a demand for these type of games out there, but people love them enough that they're willing to help developers actually make more of these experiences. So that, I mean. I grew up playing this type of game. I love this type of RPG, and the fact that I I get to make one again now at this point in my career is just fantastic. It's mm-hmm. it's a wonderful experience. So um, that I think has allowed these type of games to exist, where that demand I think has always been there. Now we just have the financial model to be able to support it as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think my last question is kind of related to what you you just kind of mentioned in there, which was. I think we were all a little surprised that Tyranny didn't actually have a Kickstarter, that after the, this huge success of Pillars of Eternity, you know, we were kind of all expecting you guys to hit Kickstarter again. I know uh, Wasteland 3, I can't remember if they did Fig or Kickstarter, but they just had another good crowdfunding campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, why no campaign like that for Tyranny? So part of it was uh, the timing. When we were starting to look at working on Tyranny, um, that was when Pillars of Eternity was still in development. and. And it was definitely something that the owners of Obsidian talked about, like, do we go and do a second crowdfunding run for, for Tyranny before we've actually released Pillars of Eternity? And and they decided that they wanted to wait until Pillars had come out and they had fulfilled all of the obligations that they had made to the in the initial crowdfunding run before they went back and asked for a second round of crowdfund, crowdfunding for a different game. It was something they felt they we wanted to show that investing in an Obsidian game, you're going to get a return on that investment and it's going to be a great game. And we're not just asking for money because. So they decided that, that rather than doing a, a crowdfunding a Kickstarter for, for Tyranny, um, between that and we already had a good relationship with Paradox as a distributor for Pillars, it made sense. And, and they wanted to make this type of game and were willing to fund this type of game, which few publishers before then were willing to do. Um, we want uh, that just worked out very well to have tyranny start being made as a <coughs> excuse me as a publisher funded game and then wait on another round of, round of crowdfunding until after pillars had been released excellent excellent well brian i wish you all the luck in the world and uh, the rest of the guys and gals uh, making tyranny I, i've been really excited to play this game it's coming out uh, november 10th i believe is the release date yeah two weeks from today Awesome, awesome. I, I know I'm super excited to try this game, and, uh, you know, I, I hope you at least have one side quest where I can, you know, throw Grandma down the stairs, because that just sounds, you know, <laughs> you got to include at least one or two ultimate evil things that you can do. 
I, I think you'll find uh, with the, the choices of the main quest line, there are quite a few ultimate evil things you can do. So hopefully that will satisfy that that urge. Fantastic, fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Brian, and uh, to our listeners. Stay tuned for more uh, information and hopefully in the near future a review of Tyranny.